137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 237 of Pixelated Paranormal. I am Sean, and with me, as always, is Presto. What's up, everybody? And we are sans Steven on this episode because, well, a number of different reasons. Number one, it is his girlfriend Katie's birthday, so happy, happy birthday, Katie. And then next of all, the main reason why we're recording on a different night is... Preston, you have suffered one of the all-time greatest blows in the digital age. Yeah, I got a fucking defaulty iPhone. Uh, three weeks, you know, brand new, everything was going great, and then I did an update, and it kept telling me I had no cellular service, and I'd restart my phone, come back on, bada-bing, bada-boom, baby, and then it fucking shut off, and then I had to restart my phone, and then finally I clicked on the Learn More button, <laughs> and it said, hook it up to iTunes, do a factory reset. And I did all that Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then um, went to go set up my phone where it's uh, like, hello. And then I selected English. And then all of a sudden it's like, cannot initiate device. And <laughs> took it to Verizon. And they're like, you're one of the unfortunate souls with your brand new fancy fucking iPhone that basically got a turd. It's not picking up the SIM card anymore, and we can't do anything with this. So we're going to send you one, but because it's Easter weekend, yay Jesus, you're probably not going to get your phone till Tuesday. And then this morning it was like, shipping delay, so nah, I'm probably not going to get my phone till tomorrow evening. <laughs> well, man, what's it like without a cell phone? Is life easier or a lot harder? Actually, it's a lot easier because, one, I'm not getting a lot of messages. And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> this is really nice because prior to this, my phone would blow up all the time. And, like, everybody was, like, just message, message, message. And now it's, like, dead silence. And yeah. I'm I'm just, like, I don't know. I haven't been on really on Facebook unless I get on the computer for a quick second. I'm like, God, this is nice because I'm not dealing with people's bullshit. Yeah. Um, cell phones. And Rick, uh, Bobby Boucher's mom will back me up on this. Cell phones are the devil. <laughs> yeah, it was weird just not talking to you hardly at all until I called you uh, at work. And it's just like, Jesus, I haven't talked to you in like two days hardly. Yeah. Oh, I miss you, buddy. Well, Whoa. being that as it is, we are unable to actually get on the normal episode we had planned for today, but that's okay. We can save that for Steve, and we'll still carry on the same topic of paranormal encounters on the battlefield with one specifically interesting story that I've got that didn't really have anywhere else to fit. But before we get into it, Preston, if you don't have anything else to add, I'll just jump into a little bit of news. Dude, jump jump on it. Okay. Well, first up, a routine trip to the dentist was anything but normal in Kenosha, Wisconsin, for an Illinois man who inhaled the dentist drill bit and had to go to the hospital to get it moved in an emergency surgery. Tom Josie, 60 years old, told the news that he was at the dentist getting his tooth filled when he was told he suddenly swallowed a tool. 
He said, I didn't even really feel it go down. All I felt was a little bit of a cough. Then they did a CT scan and realized I didn't swallow it. I inhaled it. That's right. He inhaled the dentist drill bit. He said just before he coughed, the drill bit was sitting just outside his esophagus. And then he inhaled it, sending it one inch deeper every time he took a breath. Dr. Abdul Al-Rayes at the Aurora Medical Center in Kenosha, Wisconsin, said the bit was so deep they actually had to do a surgery to retrieve it as normal scopes couldn't reach the bit. And they said that if they couldn't get it removed soon enough, he would have to have part of his lung removed in order to survive because the bit itself could in turn rust inside of his lung. Holy shit. Mm. Dr. Al Rayes and his medical team then decided to try a newer device to remove the object, one that was designed for early detection of cancers. Using a video scan to show the medical team where they were going, they were able to navigate the narrow airways to reach the drill piece and pull it out without harming Josie. I was never so happy as when I was when I opened my eyes and saw him with a smile under that mask shaking a little plastic container with the tool bit inside. Now, Joski says that he keeps the... Joski or Josie? Well, that's a spelling error. Josie keeps the drill bit on a shelf in a container at his home. That's just one more reason to not go to the dentist. Oh, yeah. We're living that in our family right now. So. Ooh, are you? Yeah, Jeffrey had some work done. And then last week, like, her jaw started to, like, tense up. And um, she basically has a locked jaw. Uh-huh. And the dentist really can't do anything for her. So his her advice was to do physical therapy at home. Oh, and yeah. uh, she has to ice her jaw, heat her jaw, and then bite down on as many popsicle sticks as she thinks she can fit in there. And then, like, an hour later, do the same process, but then add another popsicle stick until she can just jam as many in there as she can to help unlock her jaw. Huh. And so, if that doesn't work, it's Botox. For real? Yeah, something about Botox in the jaw helps TMJ or whatever it's called and, like, loosen the oh, muscle back up. yeah, yeah, yeah. So... If I'm understanding it right, she's literally just shoving, like, three or four popsicle sticks between her front teeth, and then, like, in an hour, she tries to get one extra? Yep. Jesus. And she's just basically forcing her jaw open. Um, yep. Wowee, man, that's brutal. Poor thing. She doing okay, though? I mean, lots of soup and... Yep. Yeah, lots, lots of soup, lots of smoothies. Fuck, dude. Wow, well, keep keep me posted on that. We can report back to the show, too, but, uh, yeah, keep me posted on that. Wow. Yeah. Well, up next, we move to Michigan, where police are once again investigating a missing Sasquatch. Police are investigating the theft of a seven-foot-tall metal Sasquatch lawn ornament that was taken from a home in southern Michigan. The item is crafted from sheet metal, and it was stolen from a home in St. Joseph's County, Park Township, somewhere around March 22nd, say the Michigan State Police. It has a rusty brown color with various edges and sharp edges to resemble the fur of a mythical ape-like Bigfoot. It appeared the Sasquatch was cut away from a steel post with a pair of bolt cutters or a similar instrument. A white panel van with dark 
with a dark driver and passenger side window was observed parked in the area on March 22nd. This is like the third or fourth missing Bigfoot lawn ornament that we've reported on in like the last two or three years. God, come on, guys. <clears throat> That's why I keep mine in the backyard. Our final news story before we get to the goods. It has been three years since the devastating fire engulfed the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. That's right, folks. April 15th, 2019 was when that giant fire erupted, burning most of the main cathedral. Now, has that been a long enough waiting period to begin trying unlucky things, Preston? Things that deal with mummies? Ooh. The structure itself was built back in the 14th century. Well, recently, a group of archaeologists seem to think now's the time to dive into their most recent discovery. Just a few short weeks ago, a team digging underneath where the church's iconic spire will soon be rebuilt discovered a well-preserved lead sarcophagus, which appears to date back to right around the 1300s, the very early days of the cathedral. And you guessed it, Preston, those curious archaeologists are now going to open the sarcophagus. And to that we say, what could possibly go wrong? Now, they already cracked it open slightly and have caught a rare glimpse of pieces of fabric, hair, and above all else, a pillow of leaves on top of the head, a well-known phenomenon when religious leaders were buried. The fact that these plant elements are still inside means the body itself should be in a very good state of conservation. In what only archaeologists could consider to be good news, Christopher Bingenier, the lead archaeologist at the cathedral said in a press release, After the discovery, he and his co-workers have already peeked into the human-shaped sarcophagus with an endoscopic camera and saw enough to convince them the body inside is in good enough shape. And it's probably a high church dignitary who was buried no later than the 14th century. Now, the sarcophagus was found to be buried 20 meters, about 65 feet, underground, among brick pipes that served as the cathedral's heating system back in the 1800s. However, the sarcophagus itself is under a mound of earth that also contained 14th century furniture, indicating the burial probably predated the brick pipes. Lead archaeologist Benjamin says no matter what or who is inside, this sarcophagus itself is a historical find. If it turns out that it is, in fact, a sarcophagus from the Middle Ages, we're dealing with an extremely rare burial practice. But this might be the case, though opening it could release a ghost or, far worse, a brand new plague. Prior to the fire, the cathedral was said to be a haunted place by many different spirits, including the ghost of a woman who was impaled in 1882 after throwing herself from one of the main towers. An organist also died while playing the cathedral organ near the end of the, uh, nearing the end of his 1,750th concert back in 1937, and plenty of other people have passed away in the building's long history of hosting famous events. Dominique Garcia, head of the French National Institute of Preventative Archaeological Research, assures that these people who are concerned, assures people who are concerned, the body will be examined in compliance with French laws regarding human remains and will eventually be placed back in the sarcophagus and returned to the cathedral. 
not as an archaeological object, but as an anthropological asset, possibly even re-entered into the cathedral. However, that doesn't mean a ghost or two won't be released during the examination. But what possibly could go wrong? Well, I think worst case scenario, presto, they just get another sarcophagus full of poop water. Yeah, or, you know, they release like, uh, oh God, what was that mummy curse that we we covered where, you know, they, they had like runes like all over this uh, burial chamber and then like if uh, somebody like went in and spoke the words, basically they're going to like release the god emotep and like basically <laughs> fuck over humanity i mean right. that's still a possibility so maybe don't do that yeah we're just dealing with french ghosts instead of egyptian ghosts yeah i don't know it's it's such a cool thing to find but then also you got to wonder like all the way back then in the you know 1300s maybe they buried this person in a lead sarcophagus underneath the cathedral for a reason yeah, he probably has, like, the, the fucking plague, and oh, no. releasing it, it's going to be, like, super plague now. Oh, boy. It's been, right. y- you know, it's been down there, y- you know, basically aging like a fine wine, <laughs> and, you know, it was just regular plague, but, you know, you know, 1300, so we're talking, like, what, 900 years later, 1,000 years later, almost? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like now super plague. Um, it's like whiskey, you know. It's this is like the uh, fifteen year stuff, and uh, back then it was like the five year stuff. So, <laughs> you know, maybe don't don't open it. That's that's my advice. Yeah, I would have to advise the same thing, man. That just seems like it's gonna go horribly, horribly wrong. Don't fucking <clears throat> do it. <laughs> Well, to jump into our main and probably only story for this short, short pit stop episode, I want to get into the tale of the Sinocephaly. Preston, do you have any connection to the Sinocephaly? You ever heard of these things? Actually, now that you you mention it, well, earlier when you mentioned it, I I was like, dude, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Like, he's probably not even pronouncing it right. I was not. And (laughs) And then I remembered... That uh, we did vaguely cover it once. Oh, really? When, yeah, it was like on one of the first episodes. Uh, thank you very much. It was all me when Rob was on, <laughs> and we we talked about uh, you know the missing four one one where that that guy who he, he was found like in a river and he drowned somewhere and like the wife found the cell phone and then there was like a weird like growl and like barking noise. Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's this, uh, basically in, um, Greek and Roman kind of folklore, there were a tribe of dog people. They weren't described as like, (sighs) it was weird. They were kind of like half dog, half human. They were Mm -hmm. basically like really ugly, humanoid looking things but they had their like own language they were really violent and the greeks and the romans like dude fucking leave them up in the mountain like let's not even let's not deal with these motherfuckers and that was about the extent of what we covered when we talked about them that uh, basically there were some ugly faced people up in the mountains of rome and uh, they were called the dog people um you were referencing hold on um it was a guy who disappeared Henry McCabe. 
He disappeared in Minnesota. Um, he was found face down in a, in a pool of water, I believe, a, a small puddle of water. And the wife got a weird voicemail back in September of 2015, if I remember right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I had forgot all about that story, man. It's funny how a lot of these stories keep popping back up, you know, that we talked about years ago, especially that god dang weird story about the little kid and grandma and the poopy sticky paper. That's right. Well, let's get into the cynocephaly, shall we? This, of course, is another one of those stories I came across that doesn't really fit into any other episode, so it's kind of serendipitous. We found a place to kind of shove it in here and not really... um you know, feel like it's just tagging along like some kind of awkward hitchhiker. So back when the Lombards were in uh, control, this powerful Germanic tribe that ruled most of Italy from the 6th to 8th century AD, Paul the Deacon, their scribe for the Lombards, told a tale of a strange encounter they had during their migration. In the early days, the Lombards were confronted by an overwhelmingly powerful tribal army whose numbers greatly overpassed theirs. Knowing their passage would be barred, the leader of the Lombards thought of a plan. He spread a rumor that amongst his allies fighting in their armies were a pack of savage dog-headed men that wielded unyielding warfare, drank human blood, and when they couldn't find an enemy to devour, they would result to cannibalism themselves if they couldn't reach an enemy to eat upon. Now, not wanting to confront such a dastardly army, the opposing army to the Lombards decided, okay, that's fine, we'll let you pass for now. And so, of course, the Lombards did. Now, with our modern sensibilities, we'd have, you know, half a mind to say you guys are fucking crazy and just light the place up and then wipe the Lombards off the face of the earth. Well, oddly enough, this story from the Lombards isn't the only time a race of dog-headed men was seen. And oddly enough, a tale of dog-headed soldiers may be more fact than fiction. Various ancient Greek writers, including the father of history himself, Herodotus, have written about dog-headed men living in the mountains of India and Ethiopia. These canine men, also known as the Sinocephali, have been described as hunting the living and communicating by barking with one another instead of speaking actual language. Written around 400 BC, the Greek physician and historian Theseus had this to say about another race of dog-headed soldiers. He said they speak no language but bark like a dog, and in this manner make themselves understood amongst each other. Their teeth are far larger than those of other dogs, their nails like those of animals but larger and rounder. They cannot be defeated in war. These were such savage soldiers that tale quickly spread across many different battlefields of almost werewolf-like soldiers that would appear from nowhere, aiding any team, aiding any side they decided was fit to ally themselves with. Now, St. Augustine suggested these dog-headed men descended from Adam himself, but other saints, including St. Andrew and St. Bartholomew, have described such creatures as well in their writings, whose hound-like appearances suddenly would disappear after baptism. 
Several centuries had passed, and theologians debated whether or not such dog-headed men, assuming they were real, could possibly have a soul, and thus needed the Gospels to teach them. In the legend of King Arthur, it's also told that he defeated a great army of dog-like men on the heels of Edinburgh. Edinburgh? Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Okay, we'll leave it in there. <laughs> Several medieval explorers have also claimed to have witnessed these dog-headed men. Also writing in his travels, the famous Marco Polo described encountering this tribe on the Adaman Islands. Andaman? On the Andaman Islands. He said, they have heads like dogs, teeth and eyes likewise. In fact, in the face... They all just look like big, mastiff dogs. They have a quantity of spices, but are most cruel and eat everybody they can catch, if not their own race. But oddly enough, arguably the most peculiar of all in the tales of the dog-headed soldiers is the legend relating to the patron saint of travelers, St. Christopher. There's several different origin stories relating to St. Christopher, However, many stories place his origins between the Battle of the Romans and a savage North African tribe called Marmarite, fought around 300 AD. This tribe was renowned for their ferociousness in battle, their cannibalistic tendencies, and oddly enough, out of all, the rumor of their heads being shaped like those of canines. During the battle which the Romans ultimately won, a giant beast of a man was captured. He had a dog's head and was named Reprobos. Whilst legends take many forms from here, all legends agree the warrior, the great warrior Reprobos, converted to Christianity and soon took the name Christopher. After being a soldier of Christ for some time, he was then martyred in Syria and eventually sacrificed. According to medieval Irish passions of St. Christopher, this Christopher was one of the dog-headed race, a race that had heads of canines and ate human flesh. Now, while the story is undoubtedly odd, the saint's canine head was such a well-known attribute that it inspired religious iconography for centuries. So if you look, and I'll send you a picture once you get a cell phone again, there are several actual images of St. Christopher looking like a normal, you know, body of a man with the head of a dog, holding up several different iconographies such as crosses and other religious imagery. Now, other stories of fearsome cynocephaly can also be found in Eastern sources with the Buddhist missionary Wei Sheng describing an entire island off the east coast of China being filled with a race of dog-headed men as well. So tales of dog-headed men also, it seems, are commonplace. Everywhere around the world, people believe there are indeed several races of savage men with heads of dogs bent on murder and cannibalism. So is it possible that many of these tales with their roots in ignorance and prejudice could be the result of such tales? Or were the enemies of the Lombards also heard in rumors across the world truly modern-day werewolf soldiers? So three episodes ago, four episodes ago, we talked about, uh, was it Colorado, where the van, the delivery van went missing and it had like a bunch of like cadaver heads yeah, in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three or four episodes ago. Yeah, and I, I brought up that, um, you know, 
forensic anthropology, like you know, where they take the skull and they they add little depth markers. Mm-hmm. They look like uh, they look like erasers, basically. Like somebody's taken like your retractable erasers and they have them cut at different lengths, and then you place those all around the skull. And basically, the science behind it is this two German guys back in like the late 1800s would go in and as a corpse was laying on the table, they would take a needle and at certain parts of the face, they would press it in Mm -hmm. until they felt the skull. And then wherever that went to, then they would make like a measurement. And so they were trying to come up with the system of, you know, based off your race, your age, how fat you were, how skinny you were. You know, mathematically, we're all about the same, right? So if you're 35 and Caucasian, then the the muscle tissue on average is going to be, you know, this thick. If you're African-American and you're this age, then the, you know, the cheekbones are going to be this thick. And in your nasal cavity, there's an actual bone. And depending on the angle of that bone... That dictates the shape of your nose, whether you have like a flat nose, whether you have a hooked nose, whether you have a long nose, whether you have a skinny nose, uh, because that connects the uh, tissue to the uh, bottom of your nostrils. And so there's a lot just by the study of the skull um, that you can basically kind of put together the clues and figure out what somebody looked like. If you, you know, you found a skull that's 500 years old, you could basically just kind of put that skull back together and kind of have a pretty good understanding of what that person actually looked like in real life based off all these measurements and the science that these two German guys did. Yeah, I remember that. That was a joke we had that instead of making wine stoppers and ink pens, you're going to be reconstructing um, (laughs) human heads in your garage. Right. Yeah, so what they they ended up discovering was that uh, these two German dudes were actually kind of idiots because they would press press the needles a little bit too far, and sometimes they'd actually go into the bone. So that that first system was actually all helter-skelter and just off. And so now they've gone back in over the last, like, 20 years and kind of refined it. So um, now, like, you... You have a, a chart, so you look at you know the 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 age of what the you know based off like uh, how much grindage or what's left of the shape of the teeth. Uh, they also look at like your kneecaps to see how much cartilage is left because you can tell if somebody was overweight because uh, there's more wear and tear in the knees, and so you, you basically oh, kind of plug all this this uh, information in. And then that's going to give you like this formula to put these markers on the skull and then you can rebuild it. And then whether you're Asian, Caucasian or African-American, if you look at the skulls, like the eye sockets are all different. The nasal cavities are all different. And the actual back of the skulls all have a different shape. Um, So sometimes, you know, when a coroner goes in and they're like, you know, this was an African-American male, age 50. Well, the reason why they can tell that is by the shape of the eye sockets, the actual shape of the back of the skull, and then based off the wear and tear of the teeth, um, and then like the wear and tear of the cartilage around the the rest of the body, they can actually do a weight. Mm-hmm. And um, there there are several, basically like the Scathians. Um, they were this really old group of people that lived in the steppes. 
And, you know, we found a couple of their skulls and we've kind of, you know, a forensic anthropologist have, you know, put together the pieces and basically this is what this person looked like. Mm -hmm. And um, the Scathians, they're badasses. (laughs) Like the, you know, that, that German myth about the Aryans. Um, so the Scathians had light colored eyes. So through DNA testing, they realized that most of them had uh, light colored eyes and they, they had, you know, lighter colored hair. Um, and uh, they had they, uh, like olive colored skin, basically, mm-hmm. from where they where they were kind of located at, like how much sun they got. But they were the first people to drink milk. So you think uh, Cro-Magnum, Neanderthals, Denisovians, all those other people, the, they couldn't drink milk. They, they were basically lactose intolerant. So the fact that these Scathians, um, early on in their development, they were able, because all they had in the steps were like horses and goats. And so their main source of protein was milk, cheese, uh, you know, horse milk, things like that. And that allowed them to be bigger and then allowed them to be taller. And because they horses were so much a part of their upbringing and their life. So you think about how, like, in the, the, the 13th century and the 15th century, we talk about the Mongolian invasion, how they were, like, going in and on horseback and just fucking kicking everyone's ass. These guys were the horse lords of the biblical times and they were basically anybody that kind of came into the steppe region they fucking kicked their ass and uh part of our dna now the reason why we're able to eat milk and cheese and all that bullshit Mm -hmm. is because as the scathians spread out that that dna mingled with the cro-magnums that dna you know mingled with um the denisovans with the neanderthals and so your ability to drink milk and, you know, not be lactose intolerant is because of these guys. So these ancestors thousands and thousands of years ago. Anyways, the rant that I'm getting to with all this is um, <laughs> if you look back at um, the way that like the Bible or like the way that um, ancient people describe the Scathians, like because it wasn't something that they normally saw in their day-to-day life, you know, that they were depicted as being grotesque, depicted as being this. So we get to this tribe of these dog people, and um, it it makes me wonder, were they in fact a tribe of werewolves, were they actually half dog, half human, or was it because they were different than what... um, you know, think about how the Native Americans were described when, you know, Christopher Columbus and the, the Spanish first came over. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you look back at, um, uh, you know, the 1700s and the 1600s when the Spanish, you know, were going to Africa and how they how they would describe Africans. So were these dog people basically just like a group of mountain people that have been isolated for so long? They slightly had larger noses or maybe elongated faces because they were up in the mountains, so their DNA kind of twerked. And so the the closest thing that, you know, the Romans and the Greeks and, the, you know, the, the Celts, the, they're just like, dude, they look like a fucking dog. They look like a mastiff. Because back then, 
we didn't have all these different dog breeds. We basically just had the Molliser breed, which uh, you get the Bull Mastiff, English Mastiff, German Mastiff, Italian Mastiff, uh, Pit Bulls, Bulldogs, uh, the very jolly, you know, kind of wrinkly face looking dogs. Those are all based off the Molliser breed that was basically the only domesticated dog we had back mm-hmm. in those days. So if you had somebody with a longer face um, and, you know, they were a lot bigger, maybe a little bit hairier, um, how are you going to describe them? You know, you're, you might describe them as being more canine because you're not used to seeing those characteristics um, in your fellow man that you're, you know, day in and day out that you're dealing with. And, you know, there's an idea floating around that the Loch Ness Monster is nothing more than an erect whale penis because, <laughs> you know, sailors back then didn't actually see whales' dicks. It's not like we studied what a whale penis looked like. And so they see a, you know, fucking horny humpback whale floating upside down the sea and his Johnson all curved over. And they're like, it's a goddamn sea monster. It's coming out to get me. <laughs> so, you know, you, th- you think about ancient people and, uh, you know, just how we, how we describe things. Uh, it, it could be a case of we just had a, a, a offshoot or a isolated group of human beings that developed off on their own. And because they adapted to their region, um, they were slightly bigger, mm-hmm. you know, slightly had elongated faces, maybe a little bit hairier because, uh, you know, they're up in the, the mountains and it's cold up there. And uh, we're ignorant, and then our Roman ancestors like, it's the goddamn dog guy. He's coming down to get us. <laughs> Anyways, that's my rant. <laughs> it's funny. At the beginning of the episode, I staved off one news story, and I said, I'm going to save that for our late-night episode. And it was the story of the new proposed theory that people were actually seeing whale penises instead of the Loch Ness Monster. Oh. <sighs> well... I thought I hit pay dirt to kind of finish off the episode when I was researching, um, you know, the cynocephaly, because there is rumor of werewolves in Nazi Germany during World War II. Now, spoiler alert, after I did a little bit of investigation, uh, meaning I googled like four different websites, um, you come to find out there's a ton of mention of actual werewolves in Nazi Germany, especially when it comes to being, you know, one of Hitler's favorite buzzwords. Um, We'll cover it a little deeper because there is a really cool book um, that I've read a little bit about called Hitler's Monsters, which is going to be the surprisingly deep connection between Nazis and the supernatural. Unfortunately, Hitler's werewolves did not mean that he had a race of super dog soldiers like I was hoping, but instead actually talks about the brief misconception that there was a small group of soldiers he called werewolves. Um, I won't get too deep into it. But basically, these were kind of like soldiers that could get behind enemy lines. Unfortunately, during propaganda that went wrong, um, while Hitler and Goebbels, uh, Goebbels were talking about werewolves, unfortunately, a lot of people would hear that and it escaped into the actual uh, main population of Germany. And soon you had actual headlines in newspapers talking about the misconception that Hitler truly did have a pack of legitimate werewolves that were running around killing people during World War II. So anyway, I'm going to have to get that book and read into it a little bit more, maybe do an episode. We talked about doing some uh, dives into Nazis and the supernatural and just the idea of the occult magic that Hitler was trying to use uh, back during the war. You know, some of that kind of stuff inspired Hellboy and tons of other great, you know, pop culture. So we might have to 
jumped in. And oddly enough, uh, I'm redoing the the backyard right now, and before my phone shit the bed, I'm still salty <laughs> about yeah. that. I am. Uh, I had to re- redo the duck pond and build up the berm where the pond sits on, because the you know the ducks just without getting too graphic. Well, I'll get graphic. Basically, ducks are horny little bastards, uh-huh. and so when they get in their pond, they like to swim for a minute and then get to fucking, and then they get water all over the place, and it's basically washed away a lot of the dirt and sand. So I've had to, you know, build that back up, and so. I'll just put on like, you know, like a YouTube video and just listen to it in the background. And I've come across a lot of neat information about like medicine and drugs during World War One and World War Two and how it affected the outcome of the war. And then I've come across stories about like this Japanese guy that uh, believed that the that the war wasn't over. So he was like stuck in the Philippines and basically participated in guerrilla warfare for like 40 years mm-hmm. um and they couldn't kill him and he was just like going in and like raiding villages and i'm like holy fuck this is this is like an amazing story and uh some of it's not paranormal and some of it's not unusual but it's pretty fucking interesting <laughs> and uh i don't know we, we might cover it yeah, there you go folks to close out the episode duck fucking <laughs> I'm glad you could join me, man, even though you don't have a cell phone. We made it do what it do anyway. Yeah. I was just like, God, how am I going to get in contact with this fucker? And uh, I was like, uh, I don't know if he works this day or that day, but uh, you know, eventually he'll call and I'll be like, hey, yeah. I'm not ignoring you. I'm just <laughs> semi-ignoring you. I'm not ignoring you on purpose. It is funny how much we take for granted having a cell phone and just shooting somebody a message that bounces from your phone to space and back in, you know, 30 seconds. And if you don't hear a reply back in, like, the next two minutes, you're like, what, what the fuck, man? Come on. Come yeah. on. What are you doing possibly more important than messaging me back? But, no, I uh, I figured, you know, long day at work or rather um, when I called and went straight to voicemail, I was like, oh, no, his new phone got fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I it know it. got fucked it. hard. Yeah, I thought yeah. maybe you dropped it in the pond while you're outside working, so at least it wasn't something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, guys, speaking of cell phones, if you're on the social medias, please follow us on the old Instagram at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, check us out, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Preston, tell us about YouTube. Holy shit, dude. Uh, I got on, uh, I, so I, I confiscated my mother's phone, and before you say, how dare you? <laughs> I pay for that fucking thing, <laughs> and uh, so I downloaded YouTube on it, and uh, got on the old pixelated paranormal uh, page, so yeah. to speak, our channel, and we're up to 182 followers, which is like three more or four more than last time, so to all you people, you new subscribers, thank you. Share it with your friends, share it with your buddies, share it with your spouses, your family members. Let's get up to 200. <laughs> I feel like every episode you're like, and that's four more than last time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, no mathematician, but. By God. Well, that's all right, God, man. I'm here to tell you. The point is the numbers are arising. And on the yeah. old uh, Instagram, man, I need, I need to do some more, um, you know, 
I don't know, marketing, viral marketing, is that what kids call it these days? But we're just shy of 600 followers on the old Instagram. So please, folks, if you're on the old Instagram, give us a follow. Tell your friends, tell your families. Confiscate your mother's cell phones like Preston and follow us on their Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) Or not. Maybe don't do that. But anyway. Yesterday, she's like, um, honey. Uh, when's your new cell phone arriving? I'm like, why? She's like, well, I just, I kind of like to have my phone back. I'm like, mom, you're 80. Nobody calls you. Stop it. You don't need it right now. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, she could spank the pants off of you playing some solitaire, I bet. Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow the best beard possible... Maybe you just got yourself newly tattooed and you got a thing that looks like burnt bacon slapped on your arm and you need to step up your game. <laughs> what better way to do it than step up the face on that's on your hair? So go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order and pick yourself up some scents like Bay Rum, Dundee Cedar, Fresh, Sweet Tobacco, Citrus, Mint, and Classic. Oh, boy. And Dobbs, that one was for you, you crusty bacon arm motherfucker. <laughs> and as always, if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca, and say hello to our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang. All right. Until next time, on behalf of Big Steven, I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and 